It's This Week in Sleaze with your host, the great lord, Joshua Regal and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Let's talk some fucking living next door to Dr. Lamb. <laughs> one actor that took roles left and right evolved his craft and did not in some cases by his own admission he appeared in crap films was Anthony Wong and he was as much of a mainstay in the mainstream in lower rated in terms of grading Hong Kong cinema as he was in category 3 movies ranging from his award winning performance in The Untold Story to whatever it was he was doing in Daughter of Darkness as you well remember Joshua to this episode, uh, to the content, the movies in this episode, where we look at him playing an abusive husband in the Kirk Wong-produced Love to Kill, Kirk Wong, director of Crime Story and Organized Crime and Tribe Bureau, and the big hit. And uh, Billy Chung is the director of Love to Kill. That's from 1993. And in the other movie in this episode, he plays a husband having troubles with the local loan sharks and living next door to Dr. Lam in the Wong Jing production, The Underground Banker, directed by Bosco Lam. Also has troubles with his penis as well. It should be noted. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> penis troubles. Uh, it, it's a movie that um, features uh, content that the entire society could latch on to. Like, we can all relate to that. We all bought tapes uh, with uh, tips, helpful tips, mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to better your sexual performance in the 90s. We all did that, of course. Oh, man, not even in the 90s. I'm still doing it. You buy them on tapes. I on tapes, cassette tapes. And then I'm running through the aux cable into my uh, radio. <laughs> just so I can, you know, trying to pleasure them women that I don't have. Mm. Well, you you can perfect your fire and ice technique. Uh, meanwhile, you know. <laughs> anyway, my name is Lisa Kay, and with me is, as you can hear, on a brand new microphone, nonetheless, that I forced oh, yeah. on him, the great Lord Joshua Regal, working his magic on the. And this is not a promo. Anything is just funny to us because we're mature. He's using the snowball, and snowball, as you well know, kids, if you watch Clerks or if you did stuff in your teens. You know what snowballing is, but Joshua also has a snowball microphone, so you can, if you meet him, girls, you can enjoy his snowball and the snowballing, perhaps. I don't know. I, I don't judge. I don't judge. Hey, uh, I do, unfortunately. So, I don't know, but then again, I'm pretty hard up, so, I mean, whatever you girls want to do. If you want to look at the snowball microphone, it's here. There it is. Let's talk snowballing! Oh, boy. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. It's the it's the summer of Josh, and I'm you know taking a taking it off, you know, and I'm just enjoying uh, what little free time I have until school still ramps back up and what have you. So just playing a lot of video games, really. <laughs> right on. Let's get on with it. This is this week's Lee's on the podcast on Fire Network. You find this show on podcastonfire.com along with bonus episodes, and I have a little suggestion in terms of what we should do for a boner episode next. Uh, and it might sound mean, but uh, I've, we're covering next episode. We can spill that already. We're covering recently more Ooh. modern 2015 category three rated movies. But seeing as Charlie Cho's return to somewhat sleazier movies was in a category two B movie called Flirting in the Air, I think like when the topic is modern, we should do a boner episode on Flirting in the Air. We're not going to do it for the main show. We we have two other movies, a, a wacky one and a serious one. But I, I thought like, hey, that, that's a good time to uh, insert 
Charlie Cho into our lives again. Oh, and yes. in the Wong Jing produced Flirting in the Air, that got decent reviews to boot. Like, it was uh, decent, like, uh, wacky comedy. And uh, from the director of Rape by an Angel 2 and 3, he's still in the Wong Jing fold, Aman Chan. So yeah. uh, we'll, uh, we'll probably do, we're going to do Flirting in the Air at some point. So that's a suggestion for now. But uh, if you have any suggestions, uh, email us, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, like our page, facebook.com forward slash PUF Network. Follow the chat and the developments of uh, the various shows over in the discussion group that we call Podcast on Fire Network. You can find it by searching for that very name. And follow our Twitter account that is at Podcast on Fire. Over at SoGoodReviews.com, I review category-free movies, other Hong Kong genres as well as Taiwanese new wave of the 70s and 80s and Godfrey Ho movies and even non-Godfrey Ho movies that were ninja tinged you know kids he didn't do them all you know there were there was a little unit called Philmark, the robo vampire people that wasn't godfrey ho but imdb says it is well shame <laughs> on me i was wrong like there you go like joe livingstone totally godfrey ho edgar jerry totally godfrey ho tom ashby totally godfrey ho despite godfrey ho confirming himself what aliases he worked as worked under Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Son of a bitch. There it is. But uh, check that out on SoGoodReviews.com. And I have small video reviews over at SleazyKVideo.com uh, based on my main reviews that I post on the other site. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And kids, if you can, uh, th- this will date us, but uh, uh, kids, if you can, like, devote some time, uh, like, remove yourself from the Apple Music app and uh, go over to the podcast section at iTunes. Say, eh? See, I made it curve. Mm-hmm. Apple Music just launched. Mm-hmm. Like, you can find us. Yeah, like, yeah, we don't sing, so we're not on Apple Music, but we're within the podcasting sections on iTunes uh, this week in Sleaze. Rate and subscribe and leave a written comment if you have the time and feel like it. And you can also stream us on Stitcher Radio, either via their website or through their applications available on Google Play or the Apple App Store. And the next plug from me, good old Brian Kirby and ShelfLifeClothing.com. He's cool, movie-themed, t-shirt line, mostly his own conjured up movies and movie posters they end up on a t-shirt they look mighty cool support him he supported the show so uh, check out the link shelflifeclothing.com over to you the trashy duo slash trio whenever you are a trio on your podcast and people who don't know essentially what do you do over in ttt land or ttd land Uh, trashy duo, trash trio, whatever it is. Uh, at the time, I don't know. We record shows about uh, similar movies to what we cover on here, just uh, from a broad spectrum. Try not to actually go to Hong Kong, Hong Kong too much, since you know, do this show. So it's a lot of Japan. Really, it's a lot of Japan and it's a lot of Italy half the time. Well, there's no shortage of it. Like, uh, hmm, take me from behind. Should we do that or not? Of course we should. <laughs> but uh yeah recently we did a, a little swedish gym you know thriller a cruel picture all right on right what on are you, what, what are your thoughts on that one haven't seen it you haven't really I, i'm i'm kind of half interested here here's the thing with me in swedish movies like the the classy stuff i have no interest in i even tr- and i'm too stupid for it okay so i even tried to watch the seventh seal just a few months ago i had no fucking idea what they were what was going on i i turned it off after like 40 minutes i i appreciated some of the some of the visuals but it was just a style of film that wasn't for me uh, so i i rather like our exploitation side that no one talks of because it's not good form to talk of like uh, mats helge you know uh, uh, our ninja director 
Yeah. It, it's like, uh, hmm, that, that's trash. We don't talk about such things. We talk about classy movies over here. But uh, I like that side of Sweden a lot. Thriller or Cruel picture, I know it's out there and will never go away. So I'll get to it eventually because uh, I like that side of our cinema. You know, spoiler alert for our show. We didn't really give it a positive review. Uh, it's this movie that, like, I think it's it tries to be both things. It tries to be the trashy exploitation and, you know, get as many people, you know, watching it as they can. But it at the same time, it also tries to class it up a bit by, like, doing a lot of, I don't know, like, artistic moves and it just doesn't really work. Like, it's a rape-revenge movie. And everything that that establishes all of the revenge, all of that stuff's pretty good. Like you're really on board with it. Like it's like, oh man, it's you know just doing terrible things. This you know when she gets back at him, it's gonna be great. But then the last half, it tries to turn into an art movie. There's maybe the Bergman, uh, like uh, you 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 can't get away from from Ingmar Bergman. Um... The Shadow, if you will. Um, and Enigma didn't do all art movies. Like, the only movie... So sorry to hijack your your thriller review, but the only Ingmar Berman movie that I'm keen to watch is Funny and Alexander, because I heard that's, like, a straight drama. And, and a good one at that. But uh, Seventh Seal was just like, no idea what's going on, or what, what anyone is talking of. Like, I like Max von Sydow, but nah. See, I, I like The Seventh Seal. I find that, you know, it's a beautiful-looking film. And, you know, to me... Something like that keeps my attention, but like... I wanted boobies, I wanted boobies, I got no boobies with the Seventh Seal, like, I judge it. (laughs) You'll get full penetration with a thriller. I was about to ask, I think it exists in, like, several versions, including an XXX version. Yeah, and that's the only version, of course, to watch, but that's the version we reviewed. Is it, like, horrible inserts? I don't know if she ever did hardcore porn. It's inserts, but like, um, I don't know, they're done in a decent way. Like, if you weren't really paying attention, you could fall for it, I guess. And and the question is, is the genitalia dirty or clean? Oh, <laughs> so dirty. That's... Ah, yes! Awesome. <laughs> Wendy and I joke a lot about it on the show and the fact that we just cover just the unsexiest movies possible. Like, if there's a, if there's a movie with just a gross sex scene, we're, we're down yeah, well, well, you you approved of Mindfuck once upon a time, so you you you're well suited for that. Like, I know this stuff. I can do. It. I could take it. I can take it. And trilogy of lust. So yeah, for heaven's sake. Yeah, <laughs> it's anything that's just completely unsexy. I should really uh, let her get her hands on Mindfuck. That would be <laughs> Wendy. Wendy would enjoy it. Go over and listen to Trashy Duo dissect thriller a cruel picture, or they call her One Eye, I think, is an AKA or the tagline for it. And also, uh, Hooker's Revenge. What? It's another Hooker's Revenge. Hooker, is another, well, yeah. that's subtle, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If if it would have been under that name, the movie would have been a severe disappointment because you'd really expect something fun and trashy. But that last half act, man, that last third is just oh. I don't know if it was what it was known as here if it was like thriller or cruel picture in swedish or not that because I, I, the only time i read about it is through like oh there's a foreign dvd release and it has that title i don't think it's even released on dvd here or it might be now like in the last five ten years like there's been there's more companies like putting out our own trash and other mm-hmm. countries trash you know so, uh, so 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 maybe it is released i mean obviously material exists for it it's not a lost film Mm-hmm. And I, I know I've heard Swedish before and everything, but I was really disappointed that it doesn't sound like Bork Bork. 
yeah, there's nothing we can do about that because it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it was it was a real letdown. I didn't hear anything that sounded like Bork. I'm gonna kill you now. I want my revenge now. <laughs> <laughs> see, see that? Where did these things come from? God. Well, I know it comes from friggin' Swedish Chef, but I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I was about to ask. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was even shot in Swedish because some Swedish movies, um, like one of my sweet, one of my favorite Swedish movies, is shot in English. Though a War Dog. It's a very low-budget action movies with action movie with super, big ass squibs, and it's just a fun, cool, low-rent action movie. Clearly set in Sweden, like the the 80s suburbia is so recognizable to me. Uh, but they obviously they did sh- shoot it for an English territory. So whenever people go into clearly Swedish houses in Swedish suburbia and go like, "Hi, Bob. Hi, Fred. That's the awesome. I love this." And they, and they squib squib up little kids with this massive. Hell yeah! I think I've seen clips from it. Yeah, pretty legendary. Yeah, so that's good fun. Uh, where are you on the web search so people can find this thriller, a cruel picture review? Just Google us. Just Google Trashy Trio, and you'll find uh, the Lipson page, which is like trashytrio.lipson.com. But yeah, it's easier just to Google us. And you're on you're on iTunes and things like that as well. Absolutely, yeah, Stitcher, the whole nine. I'm keen to listen to that episode. I uh, neglected to download the latest one for whatever reason. Uh, Okay, let's take a short break and listen to some music from Love to Kill. And that's the first review of our episode. Anthony Wong, the abusive husband. Like, we're going to see different sides to Anthony Wong, which makes him a fantastic actor and a game actor. And uh, these are two movies uh, that showcases that well. But more on Love to Kill after the break. Welcome back in the first review of this uh, Tidy Whitey Theater. I uh, even neglected to mention that we're in the Tidy Whitey Theater watching Anthony Wong movies. And what a place, uh, what a place to be. Uh, like you stick to your seats. Oh, it's beautiful. And uh, you uh, settle in nicely in the smell watching Anthony Wong take over the screen like you read about. It's wonderfully foul. It's great. And uh, so we see. Especially in this movie, I love to kill a plot from my review of the film. Jade, played by Elizabeth Lee, lives under a strict, abusive ruling by her psycho husband Sam, played by Anthony Wong. After being raped one night, she flees onto the street below, where cop, where cop Hung, played by Danny Lee, happens to pass by. However, knowing what the consequences are for leaving Sam, Jade does not file charges. She is convinced by Hung that it's time to leave, though, and she takes shelter with him. Sam isn't about to let her go or give up that easily on her, though. Dot, dot, dot. But we should do a little refresher course in all things Anthony Wong, uh, because uh, he, he deserves it, and uh, we'll bring it up to speed in terms of what he's doing right now, because he's still a working actor. What is he? in his fourth or fifth decade as an actor? 80, 90, 2000. Yeah, the fourth, his fourth decade as a working actor. So, and uh, still, still got it, still got it, still working hard. And yep, one of the hardest working Hong Kong actors out there, and a self-admitted working actor in terms of like, he did movies just to support his family, essentially to put food on the table. And he knew he was heading into shit sometimes, but 
it's money. It puts food on the table. It's yeah. good old-fashioned work. And therefore, the filmography is extensive and not filled with gems throughout, but Anthony is still an integral part of several decades of classic Hong Kong cinema. And when he's on, either as a Category 3 psycho or in more subtle roles, he's clearly game and comfortable. You know, And few actors rivals this skill put forth. Yeah. He was born to an Australian father and Chinese mother, and Wong joined ATV's acting training program and later enrolled in the Hong Kong Academy for Performing Arts. He was at this earlier stage of his career considered more Western, based on his look, despite not speaking much English, actually. But his features have grown more... I don't know if this sounds offensive or not, but his features have grown more Chinese, or people aren't that mean anymore. <laughs> you know, but he's a, I don't know, I don't know, I, I don't, I never s- s- look at him and think Western, but if you watch him in his early movies, you can, hmm, yeah, a little bit maybe, Chinese. Like, look at him in Hard Boiled, and it's like, he's looking very Western in that movie. It could be just, I don't know, the hair, you know, what have you, but yeah, you definitely can see that from him. Uh, his debut, though, was in the Shaw Brothers drama My Name Ain't Susie in 1985 against female actress Pat Ha. And uh, Wong gradually uh, began building his legacy and getting more notice for his uh, villainous personas on film. In, for instance, uh, the movie Joshua mentioned John Woo's Hardboiled in 1992. Subsequently, he won the Hong Kong Film Award for his performance in the Herman Yao-directed true-life crime horror drama The Untold Story. And he was the mute warrior carrying a kick-ass flying guillotine in the heroic trio around the same time, which uh, his uh, head was shaved in both movies, so they clearly was kind of shot at the same time. I don't know which movie demanded the look, but uh, it fits uh, certainly fits uh, both. And uh, not to mention, I mean, you, you can rattle off performances uh, endlessly, but he plays the god Wudong consuming sex slaves in Erotic Ghost Story 2. And <laughs> yes. uh, he has a quite, a, what was it? Yeah, quite an active phallic-looking tail. Like it, oh, yeah. like it moved. Uh, you, you you had shots where you saw that tail like moving, and he like. Ah, <laughs> ah. I think and it's a hair. Oh. yeah, exactly a big old glam metal hair metal oh, yeah. hair. But it, he's a god in this one, and boy, boy is it fun. Erotic ghost story too. One of the most artistic looking category free movies, believe it or not. And check out our review of it if you're interested in finding out more. Anthony was clearly comfortable in Herman. Yao's movies. Uh, some of his most memorable work come working for what is his best friend, actually. They're actually really good friends. That was, you know, all movies could be everything from The Untold Story, Taxi Hunter, Cop Image, Ebola Syndrome, to more recent stuff like Laughing Gore, Turning Point. So whenever Anthony works with Herman, you, you, can, you can see that there is a comfort there. He continued to work extensively um, in la- in the latter 90s, especially after getting sick and forced to go on a steroid treatment that made him gain weight. And one of the most iconic roles of this time was in Gordon Chan's and Dante Lam's cop drama Beast Cops alongside an excellent Michael Wong. And Anthony was really like uh, more puffy in that movie. He- he's more skinny yeah. now, but uh, it's sort of... It, not that that movie was about, oh, I'm fat and shit, but <sighs> it sort of fit... Anyway, that look wasn't like, oh my god, the actor disappeared and now we now all we see is the flab. <laughs> no, but uh, it really... It, it, it did, and he even took off his shirt in, in that movie, so he wasn't like, 
ashamed of it or anything because right. uh, you know, he's an actor now further performances in another favorite of anthony wong's he appeared alongside many good character actors in johnny toe's the mission from 1991 and uh, that was the end of the millennium the new millennium meant more international exposure through his award-winning performance in the infernal affairs trilogy he appeared alongside naomi watts and edward norton in the painted veil and as one of the villains in the mummy tomb of the dragon emperor like uh, seven or eight years ago obviously the you know peak of his his career right there have you ever seen it i i'm even i've not even seen any of the mummy movies those mummy movies so. they're the most surprising like blockbusters you'll ever see because they're so incredibly boring i don't know at least that's the way it is to me like i you know the first one i remember back when it came out i watched it and it was just, I, was like, I was just like this is terrible like you know and at the time i was a younger fellow and you know i enjoyed my big blockbusters and I just could not get into it. And then the second one, like the bits and pieces I watched of it, it was the same deal. Third one, same deal. You know, it's just they could not make an interesting movie in Egypt or what have you to save their friggin' lives, I swear. And that one that Anthony was in even had like extensive like mainland and Hong Kong talent for for these kind of movies in Michelle Yeoh and Jet Li. But um, yeah. Um, yeah, I've never really, they never really, it wasn't alluring as such. Like, oh, cool that they're in an international movie, but I'm not really my my bag in in that case, you know. I like an event picture, but um, those were like never appealing even when they were released necessarily. Yeah. Like he continues to make somewhat lesser to even acclaimed performances. Again, working actor and even voice work as one of the returning voices in the McDull movies and he still does those to this day whenever they come out he's known for being very outspoken about movies uh, directors and fellow actor and even simon yam was quoted in miles woods books in east saying that wong is a very angry man <laughs> <laughs> at least was you know but um yeah he is quite honest uh, and uh, i remember reading uh I don't know if this is true, but I, I wish there was footage of this, but Anthony Wong has even turned up at the Hong Kong Film Awards dressed as Freddy Krueger. Just because, that, that'll be fun. I'll be yeah. fucked up. Like, yeah, no yeah. tux or anything. Like, I'll turn up in Freddy Krueger like, hey, look at me, I'm Freddy Krueger. Welcome to prime time, bitch. Not that year as uh, the untold story. Um, and he, he, he wasn't even that fond of getting that award, to be honest. Uh, he thought it was more... They had to give him that. Uh, there was more politics. Um, like he, he didn't feel that that was the performance that they should have singled out. And uh, he's right. I mean, there are other good Anthony Wong performances, like Taxi Hunter. That should have been singled out, but it simply wasn't. Like I think they were. I, I think his take was they were making a statement like we can award fucked up movies. We can totally award that. Cat three, schmat three. Look at us. We're so open minded. One, he also plays or played in a Hong Kong uh, local Hong Kong punk rock band, but one of his most widely known pieces of honesty. But I never thought he was disgusting about his honesty. Was his uh, dislike of working with John Woo? Uh, yeah, but I always took it as honest, and it was not about stirring up trouble just for the sake of it. Like he, he's not a mouth like this disgusting mouthy actor or anything. But his take was more that John. He didn't think that John understood actors or could direct actors and they simply didn't click um and that's that that's perfect honesty that's like he doesn't carry that grudge still today like uh, whenever he thinks of hard boy he doesn't go on like the chinese twitter or anything and start ranting you know he that's what he didn't like he didn't like john Wu, and he moved on and uh, worked with directors that he likes and he hasn't worked with john ever since as far as i know that was a movie that was especially the scenes like he's mostly in or like some of the most technical like uh, stuff from Wu's career, 
you know? You can imagine on the set of that film that, uh, of all the things John Woo's worried about, probably wasn't worried too much with the actors. No, that is uh, not a drama at the same time either, so it's, it's, um, he's, John admittedly went a bit mad working on that movie, like, yeah, so I I think he was consumed by explosions and gunplay, so, um. Yeah, I mean, and I just think about that hospital sequence and that, God, how long does that take, that seven-minute take, eight-minute take, or whatever? Well, well, it's about two or three minutes, but it's a a good 20, 30 people dying in that one take, you know, so, um, yeah. Seven minute oh. take that would have been awesome. <laughs> God, well, I don't know. It seems like that. I don't know. Yeah, I guess probably like three minutes or whatever. But going, did they actually go to a different floor in that, or is that just they? Uh, no, no, set? they changed. They changed the sets. They, God, essentially, essentially, they just had crew people ran in there and reset the same floor yeah. and went out again. And in the movie, they changed floors. So. They had to have a billion people doing that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And they did a couple of times, but not like twenty or anything. Like uh, right. So maybe they clinched it on the second or third one. So, right. Yeah. Uh, Anthony speaks in an interview with Hong Kong Cinemagic that falling into acting was an accident and essentially never made career plans. He just went with the flow, which included actually a a two-movie directing tour of duty, if you will, with the movie New Tenant and Top Banana Club, (laughs) which is a great title. Two very odd movies, I'd say, uh, but um, they're they're, they're worth watching, I guess, but they're they're very odd. Their humor is very odd. Anthony, he does, he continues to say in um, the interview with Hong Kong Legends a couple of years ago that he doesn't consider himself to be a star. And to Hong Kong Legends, he said, Bruce Lee was a star. I'm not a star. And uh, more recent credits uh, include more voiceover work for the McDowell series. He, I think his common role is playing this Western gay principal of the school that the pig, piglet McDowell goes to. But he speaks Chinese um, in in the role. But um, I like that he's uh, stayed true to that franchise, which is very... They're animated movies, but they're not necessarily for children. Their themes are quite uh, more deeper than that. So they're they're often very adult-oriented in terms of the themes on display there, despite the cute piglets uh, on display and the cute animating style. But I really like that series. Uh, And that 2014 entry was uh, McDowell, Me and My Mum. And uh, furthermore, Anthony has continued to work with uh, Hermania. He played Ip Man in Ip Man The Final Fight. Um, yeah. And uh, getting a Hong Kong Film Award nomination for his performance. Only Ip Man movie I'm keen to watch. I, I never really, like, I, I'm not a big fan of Donnie Yen, to be honest. Uh, but I like the fact that they went with an older Ip Man and Anthony suits that role. And Anthony actually knows martial arts. So he, he could, he, he's not made a career out of appearing in martial arts movies but for whatever i don't know how much martial arts there even is in Ipman the final fight but uh i i think uh, that he just looks good based on stills he just looks good man yeah the movies uh little so-so yeah it's anthony wong though so that's that uh, let's uh get into the review and a quick bite-sized opinion first of all joshua of love to kill well i knew this was the movie for me because i also love to kill and I've got a snowball microphone, so I'm, I'm immortal, essentially. <laughs> the only thing I love more than killing is snowballing. Right on. I'm going to extract that out of context and post on your Facebook wall. <laughs> Please, everyone. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not judging. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know. I'm going to interrupt you for about five more minutes and reference snowballing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really love both the movies we cover this week. This one, Anthony Wong, is the biggest shit heel in cinema ever 
<laughs> and uh, I don't know. I think the movie does a lot of things really interesting and uh, doesn't often fall into the, you know, I guess the routes you would expect it to go into. I don't know. Just a lot of really interesting choices, I think, make this one kind of special. Um, for my bite-sized opinion, a generally harrowing and terrifying terror tale with some typical but not very welcome detours into dopey comedy courtesy of Danny Lee in a not-so-appealing role reversal for Danny Lee, but nice try. Nice try. He's not Lisa here. Like he, He's not even a superior in this one. No. So, but n- nice try, Danny, but you're annoying. So, <laughs> <laughs> Don't hate Danny. It's not an unbearable stretch of the movie, but I know that it's the bad stretch of the movie compared to the other excellent stuff, right? Yeah. But, but yeah, Anthony Switch as a performer in general, like uh, from, you know, Underground Banker is an underdog performance, a man-up performance and a character. Here he's a dominating, controlling psycho. It's so appealing, like, and he snaps into it immediately in the movie, obviously he does too, Billy Chung, the director. When he gets jealous at the cafe... When someone says hi to Elizabeth Lee's uh, Jade and he gets all jealous and he, what is it, he, he pinches her under the table like really hard to like get her attention. Like, you don't look at that man, you, but without saying that. And that's because Anthony is such a good actor. You, you go like, whoa, uh-oh. The movie starts off at such a high pitch, like, you know, even before that little sequence, it's, the, you know, I counted, it's like by the third minute. And in the movie, he's stabbing a guy with a fork over smiling at his girlfriend. But, like, even before that, like, the very first shot, basically, of, you know, his wife stepping outside and a couple of women walking up and, like, hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. They're having small, you know, little idle chit-chat. He steps out and immediately is just, like, you can tell just looking at his face, okay, this guy's the asshole. Glares. Like, yeah, you, believe, you believe that there is something more than just some attitude there. There's- he's not even doing it in, like, a um like an over-the-top way or anything like that. He just he, He's not, like, grimacing and, like, you know, doing anything. He just steps out and just, like, you can tell by the way his posture is, you know, and how he greets the people. You, you immediately know, okay, this guy's got a stick up his ass and he's going to be a problem. And sure enough, we get that scene of him pinching her, uh, you know, leg or what have you just because somebody else looked at her. Yeah, it's it's... It's pretty rough, yeah. It does make you actually uneasy because it connects, unfortunately, rather well to horrible realities of abused women all around the world. Um, you know, the verbal abuse, the mental abuse, obviously the physical abuse. And you ask, you know, like, you think that's a good, like, echo of a reality. Like, uh, we need a little bit of reality check. But you ask yourself, will Hong Kong come at it with good taste? Because there's a good chance they won't. Yeah. You know, when the movie is serious, it is serious. When it's wacky for about 20 minutes in the middle or 30 minutes, it's like it doesn't disrupt that because it just leaves that behind for 20, 30 minutes. Well, it's do-do-do-do-do, wacky, wacky, Danny Lee and Julie Lee, wacky, wacky. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. The utterly uncomfortable rape scene uh, a few minutes later where mm-hmm. comes uh, at her um, tour in the night and she, she tries to like uh, pretend that she's asleep and he's been drinking and it's so uncomfortable. Like, he puts down his beer on the table. He starts raping her at uh, by the window. And then he realizes he wants his beer. So he just throws her over to the table to make sure he has his beer beside him. Which sounds funny and wacky. And like, I'm going to drink beer and rape you. But because it's Hong Kong, it could have been that. But it's really scary. 
and uh, she i think uh, her head gets slammed at one point into the dresser and mm-hmm. to top it all off like the fucking shit cherry on top of it he puts a plastic bag over her yeah that's when things get really scary for real too i mean you it's no yeah. i mean i'm sure they control it on the set they're not that out of control hong kong uh, filmmakers but it's not like that is a plastic bag over the elizabeth lee's head yeah and that's scary for anyone and uh, you obviously need to be in control of what you're doing you need to kind of choreograph that stuff obviously and uh, obviously she didn't die making this movie or anything like that but that's um it shows its hand so early that you think it's is there anything left for the movie to do there is there is definitely was there, you know, anything going on with that beer bottle? Because, like, there's certain shots in it that make it look like he's doing stuff with it, you know? I I, I thought of that, because the way Billy Chung shoots it, it, it I was a bit confused. Well, did he, like, did it shove it into her vagina or anything? That's what I was thinking it to was. To me, it looked like, but it, it's kind of a stupid thought as well, that he, he like, stuck it between the lower part of her knees or his, uh, legs right. or and his legs. But the way it's shot, like it, it kind of in and out, and you see obviously the beer, beer moving inside. But I don't think it was supposed to be rammed up there as such. It's a bit of a confusing thing. I didn't go back and like shot by shot deconstructed it or anything because the sequence is so full otherwise. But th- there was something that Billy Chung, the director, focused on here. Right, and he's continu- he's continually like thrusting. So it's like, is it? Did he? It was a double penetration. I don't know what's going on there. It pushes buttons, it definitely does, and it's uh, well-made. Uh, also uh, features some shots from Arnold Schwarzenegger's Pumping Iron right beforehand. So oh, was I'm that sure. what she was watching? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know if they had the rights to show that documentary. Yeah, don't, don't, no way they had that. <laughs> Pumping Iron is like coming. You, you, you lift the yeah. bag and you come, it's like coming. Every day I'm coming, every moment. It is from that documentary, isn't it? The whole coming, mm-hmm. coming thing mm-hmm. is from Pumping Iron, right? It's a really good documentary, by the way. Really? <laughs> I, I highly recommend it to people. It's good. Someone will have probably made like a, one of those like YouTube remix videos where all they do is like kind of loop uh, oh, yeah. Arnold's <laughs> coming, coming line set to like dubstep or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Him coming and then him smoking weed in it or whatever. Just the two of those shots. He he gets arrested because he starts beating her in, in the street and then Lee arrives and all of that. And uh, so she's she's saved, seemingly. But right. he, here's the scary part, which connects it to a reality, and that's not a bad thing. Movies are supposed to be escape from reality, but there's no, it's not bad that it does. That she does not press charges, despite this being this super clear case of what the fuck he did to her. Right. And uh, she, uh, she essentially says in her, like, reverted shell, almost, like... This is because Sam says, oh, no, this is how we play sexually. And mm. she says, yes, this is yeah. we play like this. She She's really like catatonic, almost like um, she's resigned to fate, almost accepting her fate. And that is sad and scary, despite despite us getting the signs of Danny Lee being a bit of a like this movie's whack fest, you know, as uh, not Lee, but what was it called? Like Fireball Hung or Snowball Hung? Or what was it? <laughs> <laughs> what was it I in the subtitles? Know. There was something Hung. Rather yeah, there than was like... something like that. It might have been Fireball. I think you might be right with that. But for now, we say it's Snowball, obviously. It's funny how like certain Hong Kong films will present the police force as like almost having like omnipotent power, you know, limitless power, you know, taking advantage of people, beating them down, da 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 
And then, like, then you have, like, a movie like this where they're shown as being, you know, basically limp-wristed and unable to do anything, you know? Like, they're, like, completely at the will of the people, and they have no power to do anything. I was just thinking, like, had this movie been shot, like, in Louisiana and, like... See, I don't know if the, the law is, has been the same way back in the 80s and 90s, but, like, these days, if, you know, in a domestic uh, violence case immediately the the state picks it up you know regardless of what the uh the abused victim might say they're still going to prosecute the person you know so there's no getting out of it had this been reality then the cop you know a cop's words worth two citizens and so in reality he'd have been probably arrested for fighting back the officer for resisting arrest for you know uh, assaulting a police officer for endangerment of the child i mean this character would have been in prison but in this world there's no uh no stopping you know he, he and he's confident he will essentially get out of it because he has that control over her which is uh, very scary and eerie and chilly and it's very visually intense and dark this movie even though it switches to wacky and uh, i've not seen her in a lot of movies elizabeth lee but she looks great mm-hmm. she's a gorgeous woman she's also in a performance that could have been hysterical she isn't. She's emotionally like bringing sound and balance, strong realism and nuances as uh, like because she's underplaying it because she's probably exhausted as a character, especially by that point. Uh, so she can't like go up and scream, scream like yeah, he did it, he did it, he did it, that motherfucker right. did it. Like, uh, and and I like that choice. Um, and uh, Billy Chung is also really good at like latter scenes where there's like two great beats subsequently where they go to visit her mother in the hospital mm-hmm. played by veteran actress Teresa Harping and there's a little beat here where she's uh, she's in pain and Anthony Wong goes to you know point his uh, head out of the door and you think he's gonna call a doctor or a nurse but he simply looks at the empty hallway and then closes the door because this is what he wants this is kind of what he gets off on I suppose her in pain yeah that's fine by me not that he says it like it's still underplayed but uh yeah, and, and Billy Chung is really great in a, like a subsequent sequence with the tension by Danny Lee's character and Elizabeth Lee and the kid, the little uh, son. They decide to make a break for it. And uh, under Sam's radar while he's at work, uh, they are moving out and uh, get, getting the hell, hell out of there. And uh, she's shacking up with him. But Anthony Wong's character is on his way home and they see him like across the street while they're getting into a van or a bus and what have you. And all, all of those like... Uh, tension beats are very competent here actually and uh fairly exciting too you know that's uh you, you you buy the predicament and the, the like the tension that is here and uh, for a hong kong movie it's pretty well above average i'd say the, the psychological background is nothing surprising of course uh, it's uh, in terms of sam's background there but i like that billy chung instead of just telling just a minute or two of uh, abusive flashback. I don't know if you noticed this, but he really pours on the atmosphere and the colors when flashing back to Sam's childhood. And even changes film speeds, making these events so frantic and fast, mm-hmm. like memories probably are like the memories just flash before you and there's the, all, all the violence and stuff sometimes it happens in undercranked fashion 
which is a choice that is you might say it's subtle but obviously it's also noticeable but i it made that standard cliched he was abused his father was abusive that affected him mm-hmm. kind of more bearable because we we've seen it so much but here stylistically they ramp it up by being like having thunderclaps and all of that it's really cinematic like almost yeah. over the top cinematic but I gotta tell you, it uh, it worked for me anyway. That um, those uh, brief flashbacks to Sam, like w- when did he start becoming fucked up? That's the point, and it happened this way. And it doesn't introduce it like there's, and that, that's one thing about like there's a quite a few dream sequences and stuff in this movie, and it it gets pretty surreal at times because you don't know what is a memory and what's a dream, especially the sequences where uh, Anthony Wong's thinking about his wife and like things that I think he wants to do to her. And then like, and then it turns violent and it just seems like, is this something that actually happened? There's a lot of stuff about, you know, and it turns out to be, you know, you don't know whose dream it actually is. Is it the wife dreaming right now? Is it Anthony Wong? It gets pretty, uh, pretty out there at times. It's very effective. It's a very sharp, um, way of like, it's good confusion. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that we're not out of the movie because it's all surreal and stuff. Like, uh, the main point being like, he fantasizes or his wife did it did it with him at one point but in this case he's thinking of the wife reading an erotic novel to him and also like sort of touching herself at the same time and uh, but then cut to boom violence to, like, like uh, the, the, the the flashing and the switch happens to it really effective but in its way scary uh, talking of switch when uh, elizabeth lee moves into danny lee's character's house enter the comedic portion of the film you get through it but it's the weaker aspect of the film like th- thank god this was a real mid movie that we didn't need to concern ourselves with again when it was done danny lee is uh not lee sir as we said and he's a bit of a loud character i never got the sense that his his girlfriend was julie lee they kind of just knew each other or did like, like did some favors to each other and occasionally fucked but uh, Julie Lee enters and freaks out. The movie turns pretty ditzy and loud because I'm Julie Lee. What is that woman? I am Julie Lee. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what do you notice in general about when the when the whole um, house comedy <laughs> portion enters? The first note I have was there's a line where uh, I think Daniel Lee tells he's like Jenny. I think that's Julie Lee's character. Jenny, get your chopsticks. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> oh my God, that... where are those going? Like, we, <laughs> we, we, we're probably both thinking of the untold story where exactly. Anthony Wong rams uh, like uh, two dozen of them into a pussy. <laughs> the biggest sequence that stands out to me in it is when Danny Lee is just like sitting at the table or whatever, sitting uh, in his living room. And then Elizabeth Lee comes around and she's wearing some short shorts and uh, a little top that shows some cleavage and she starts kind of like you know cleaning up around him on her hands and knees so he's like staring at her boobs and uh we get danny lee doing the uh classic hong kong oops i haven't seen them for two decades oh my god Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, bro! <laughs> so he's freaking out, and like I don't know. There, there is a good little moment where like 
she's bent over and he's like putting his hand out there like he's going to grab her ass. And for a second there, you think he's going to do it. Like, this is going to get real awkward. He fantasizes that she's in her panties, which is, she's not there. She has these short shorts on. But he, uh, like, uh, he go, he, that fantasy takes him places. Uh, you know, honestly, have you ever been like, like seen a girl that was, you know, astoundingly beautiful or what have you? Um, like you look at her and then you look away and then look back and all of a sudden she's naked. Cause that's never happened to me. Nope. Nope. <laughs> no. Uh, so anyway, he's like going to reach for it and then he like, his hands almost to the ass, almost to the ass, almost to the ass. And then she turns around and he like grabs a banana. <laughs> I don't know why that cracked me up, but him grabbing that banana like actually did make me laugh. Yeah, well, it's it's amusing, but man, it doesn't belong here. And, no, uh, it's, it's definitely like a detour into a totally different movie. You know, thankfully, it's not 90 minutes plus these right. 20 minutes. It's still a swift movie overall. Right. And it, it didn't distract me that much because I think it is pretty entertaining. And I think, I don't know, I think par- partially that's because I like Danny Lee, so I don't know. The role reversal is fun, though, because it can get so mm-hmm. effing boring uh, having Lisa come in there and uh, be Lisa again. But uh, it's a role reversal. Like he even his superior is the actor Eric Cade, it's, uh, who's always portrayed as, and I'm sure he is in real life, this uh, American-born Chinese because he always swears in English and stuff. Like he's the guy in Doctor Lamb with the pecs here too when they're looking at the TV and Doctor Lamb like. That motherfucking cocksucking server. Like, he just swears for, like, a good 10, 20 seconds in English. <laughs> I love that. Julie Lee, I mean, going from Trilogy of Lost, like, wow, there's no there's no softcore Julie Lee. What's going on here? This is unusual. <laughs> like, uh, we're used to seeing her being fisted and fucked in Trilogy of Lust uh, because we all watch it uh, continually. On a good note, she is the one that kind of makes Elizabeth Lee's character smile again. And they're doing makeup together. And, like, she smiles. That's good. But I can't say she's uh, her super ditzy and loud performance is anything legendary or anything. And uh, and even Danny Lee's fantasy extends to them having a proposed little sexy time in the bedroom. And all he sees is Elizabeth Lee dancing sexily in front of her. Like, he's not let go of that fantasy. Like, he's still like, snap out of it, man. Snap out of it. <laughs> but they never do anything about that. It's not like this is... Uh, the man that she ends up with at the end of the movie. It's not that either. It's a little bit of, little bit of dopey, dopey fun while it lasts, but it doesn't belong. Yeah, they, but like it strays from mood, obviously. But it's it's fine, I suppose. I, I do like the little sequence where, uh, speaking of Eric Kay and uh, Danny Lee says to like Julie Lee's character Jenny, like go talk to him, talk to him, talk talk to Eric Kay, and she's she's not subtle about. The, anything in terms of flirting like oh my god look at your chest or your arm it's as big as my thigh touch my thigh like uh, she hasn't crab her boobs too yeah exactly (laughs) like your chest is as big as mine feel he says like well almost (laughs) there's a little meta moment here within these sequences i believe they're looking at julie lee's real life penthouse issue that she did at one point they write in the fact that the character has done a penthouse centerfold kind of thing but julie lee did that in real life as well but yeah what the movie needed was for elizabeth lee to get out of this house of good and into the terrifying fold of wongs again because her son is essentially in peril i believe Mm -hmm. that brings back the fact that director billy chung is way more comfortable and skilled working the dark areas uh, of the movie and there's some terrific sequences here both terrific choreographed abuse he's stepping on her and kicking her 
He has a line, step your bosom, adulterer. Yes, <laughs> which is a fun line, but a horrible scene to, yeah. to look at. But then you got like, Sam is so confident that she's not going to do anything to me that he lets her shave him with, an, uh, with a, a shaving... Uh, Straight razor. Straight razor, that's right. He does. She does cut him, but it's not like she attempts to slit his throat or anything. And I like that. He's so confident that she's not going to do anything to me. I know. I know her, and I dominate in the worst ways here. So, um, And it's classically Hong Kong, the way it's shot, too. Effective blue tones and reds and a lot of like sequences shot in like pitch-black rooms, but lit by blue from the outside. So it's one of those very noir, Hong Kong noir-looking movies that are so alluring almost per default uh, and yet Anthony Wong is so scary throughout the movie but and there's some intense sequences but I can't think of a moment where he goes over the top psycho or anything he keeps it pretty real he does, in yeah. his head is intense of course he, here's a performance that if they were to make a political statement like look at love to kill like he doesn't Anton's story is good but Love to Kill and several performances of daughter, uh, of, of daughter of Darkness, of Anthony Wong's, not the Daughter <laughs> of Darkness, should be like highlighted if you're highlighting my untold story. Then look at this, for heaven's sake. This is scary, scary as hell, and uh, not a compelling uh, side to males, obviously. Uh, it's the most horrible sides of, uh, of males, among the ho- most horrible sides of the male. So... Uh, it's it's unexpectedly good. That's the thing. You you within nineteen ninety three and this explosion and I say I normally say ejaculation of category three movies because there were so many of them. Good or bad. Sexy, light, wacky, disturbing, Charlie Choey. You know, they were very Charlie Choey, most of them. Not ish, but Charlie Choey. So so you took them for what they were, like the, these uh very flawed but fun movies but here's an actual movie that does some things wrong but man is it effective when it is effective and especially in this latter sequence where anthony wong is has constructed this he wrote he he did some uh, reworking of uh the house if you will some um and uh installed some chains for what for what purpose joshua to basically crucify his wife and <laughs> keep her chained up like a dog almost because she's on the floor like at one point not like eating out of a dog bowl or anything but she's chained to the wall by several chains and it's so humiliating looking and there's even um a sequence where that we actually see in the end credits we'll get to that where danny lee finds her that way and uh she can't do anything about it uh, because he hasn't given up on her he realizes that she needs to get out again or something needs to happen or she realizes she needs to fight back which is what happens but by the end the big she fights back thankfully the, the male doesn't come in and rescue her or anything like the uh, fireball hung is uh, too much of a dope to be the hero here which i think is the better choice to have elizabeth lee eventually fight back on her own Absolutely, you know, I made a note of that myself. It's like um, the movie was setting it up to have the White Knight show up and save the day, but I I like that the film doesn't go that route. For the finale, that could have strayed. It's almost uh, done like a horror movie. Uh Therefore, they bring out again the style. For some reason, the the house must be pitch black. The The only lights coming in are the thunderclaps and the candles, but it works. It doesn't stray from the fairly realistic mood here either like it's very compelling this 
very violent surprisingly violent in terms of like whoa i didn't expect that to happen you know yeah. the, the beheading that happens we won't say more it's damn compelling man like think of billy tang's movies they were very stylized too like a red to kill obviously very stylized but and over the top too but it never felt like they're doing too much he was always almost always compelling when they brought out the blue light and the mm-hmm. cinematic intensity and I think it's the same, true. it's the truth here for the finale as well. And there's some very clever effects work here, gore effects work. Yeah, I was going to say, I like the way the movie saves a lot of that for the final minutes, you know, to finally just, because you don't expect it. And boom, here it is. And I like, the, I won't spoil it, but obviously I think Anthony is very clever to sell the fact that... Um, the nail, the nail moment. Yeah, as I say, he's very clever with selling that. They don't, I don't, don't think that was a huge effect, but within the thunderclaps and all of that, they sell that <laughs> pulling the nail, pulling the nail, pulling the nail. Oh, that's gross. I don't have any other notes other than I'm going to talk a little bit about the end credits uh, sequence because it's a bit surprising. So if you have any other notes before that, so share them with the group. Nothing really pertinent, other than maybe in the finale. I think it gets a bit too dark to really see make out a lot of the details and stuff like that. I think that the movie gets a little too overdone in that regard. But Also, also the source material is from this, you know, um, cinema print on a DVD. So, uh... Right, so I, I wonder if maybe it would look a little bit better if it were uh, maybe a decent print or something like that. But the, yeah, a quick note about the end credits. It actually consists of several snippets of extended and deleted footage. Yeah, I was, like, really confused by that when the credits came up. I'm like, I don't remember any of this. No, it's completely new and looks awesome. Like, amongst yeah. them, a clearly longer torture sequence with Elizabeth Lee in the chains. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny Lee seeing her in them. He's outside of her door shouting at her. Yeah. And he, she can't do anything about it. And it's more of the latter movie, treatment and torture of her, essentially. And it looks really compelling. So, not the torture, but the footage. It looks good. So it's so odd that they included it as a big tease here but maybe it was in another version of the movie that was completed but they cut it in some print so before the premiere but they didn't decide to rearrange the end credits but it's not like they feature footage from the rest of the movie that we'd recognize it's all new stuff it's all new stuff and we watched the taiwan version that and that is not extended either this is not the extended taiwan version uh or anything it's it's the same in hong kong this end credit sequence so very weird very weird and uh especially when the footage looks really good too and compelling like uh like uh, i wouldn't have minded it uh, to, like to see makes you it. wonder if they couldn't have cut out some of the fun you know wacky stuff and maybe included some of that yeah exactly but yeah, it all leads us into the availability and some... Um, th- th- this movie had problems on home video. Let's just say that. Not only that, the fact that it's out of print now. It was on DVD in Hong Kong and Taiwan, but that, that's now out of print. If you can find any DVD, go for the Scholar version out of Taiwan. And I'll explain why that's the better version, despite this being a Cantonese-language Hong Kong movie. And that, that is Mandarin dubbed, the uh, Taiwan DVD. It's one of those uh, titles, Love to Kill, that's been varying in length over years on home video. Uh, the Hong Kong VHS and Laserdisc had several scenes trimmed and even dialogue. And when presented on DVD by City Connection, they used a longer print, but they used the Cantonese audio from the trimmed version and kind of tried to patch the movie together, but the audio was shorter. So I, I heard reports that that made uh, like the oral experience 
quite like a bad one it uh, maybe choppy or, or jarring they didn't switch like to mandarin for the missing portions or anything it's just a patchwork that reportedly did not really work in cantonese but that dvd wasn't even subtitled either and it was even full frame it was not even letterboxed so that was the hong kong dvd availability the taiwanese dvd that was out there uh, is uh, or was letterboxed it features almost all the scenes and dialogue cut from the hong kong prints but what the hong kong prints has that the taiwan print does not because it's censored in taiwan um, the only graphical content in terms of nudity is censored in taiwan and that's the rape scene uh, uh, yeah. featuring anthony wong and julie lee in taiwan it's you can see some today today you can see some but you can't see the whole rape scene it kind of cuts abruptly and all of a sudden she's dead and uh, it's a really like uh, destroyed sequence the hong kong laserdisc has this almost intact it's clearly censored still but uh, as per the censors probably but it's a way longer scene in the hong kong print um, but you even noted that there's ex- like different versions of uh, like this uh, brief sequences that's exclusive to the hong kong version and brief sequences that are within this that is exclusive to the taiwanese version like uh, you you mentioned something about a leg yeah, one version has, like, there's a, a brief shot, like, in the full version that we watched, there's a sequence where basically Julie Lee's trying to escape, and she's being pulled by one leg, and, you know, and it's very hard to tell exactly what he did, but Anthony Wong does something where, like, it looks like he slams her leg in the door and possibly, like, breaks her hip or something. It looks pretty rough, uh, and it's got a really grotesque sound effect to it, but it's obviously cut to bits. And then in the other version, which goes more into the rape and actually showcases how she kind of, you know, doesn't die, but is, you know, what is done to her. Uh, but that version shows all that, but completely cuts out the whatever happened to her leg. You know, so it's like one version has a bit more violence, but not the full amount of violence. And the other one has the sexual violence. Yeah, and, and some things maybe may have been approved by the censors, but for some reason were lost on the VHS and Laserdisc. That I don't know. So, uh, but but clearly, it was never fully uncut in Hong Kong, though. Like, I think the censors had some problems with this movie. In Taiwan, like, I've seen a couple of Charlie Cho movies in Taiwan versions, and there could be, like, oh, a little bit of titty. But most of the sex sequences, sex scenes, are mostly just cut out completely and some movies are ridiculously short but superbly short like 76 minutes all right and you realize there's nothing left (laughs) like charlie joe is like enters the bedroom and leaves the bedroom essentially just to illustrate the point (laughs) so there we are so i I think uh, why it's missing in this taiwanese version that we watch is due to censorship um like we see a little bit of nudity as he rips off her shirt but the whole sequence where she's nude for a good minute or two that's missing due to the fact that they censor it in taiwan or did at this time uh, so that, that that's that worth talking about but sometimes these movies are like the longer the dvd age runs and we get into the hd and blu-ray age these movies have no chance they don't get upgraded that's the kind of you you should have been there people essentially late 90s and early 2000s to pick up a lot of these titles they were on dvd but uh, they don't repress this stuff and don't upgrade it either to uh, to better hd prints or anything so that's why a lot of this stuff is out of print in 2015 uh so that's that we shall take a break now uh, josh uh, can admire his precious snowball 
while I, <laughs> while I refill my tea. And you listeners, listen to some music from The Underground Banker, which is the second Anthony Wong movie from 1993. And the second Anthony Wong, well, he, <laughs> he made a lot of movies in 1993, but the second Anthony Wong movie in this episode both are from 1993. You know, I have a little guess, Joshua. Let, let's just have fun before the break. How many movies do you think Anthony Wong appeared in in 1993? And we're talking all matter of ratings then. So Nine. You're so off. I haven't even counted them and you're so off already. <laughs> oh my God. Well, let's just I'm... see here. Let, let's just see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Woo! Double. Double my guess. Jeez. And they were uh, active in, not as active in 1992, uh, fairly active in 1994 as well, but... Uh, a little bit more than one a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm out there! And I don't, don't think he became a millionaire <laughs> based on it. But he's always worked, even when uh, in the darker periods of Hong Kong cinema, late 90s, where Hong Kong cinema was not thriving and piracy almost killed off the industry. Still working. Because he's a working actor. Like, uh, you and I, you and I have a job, you know. Well, you 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 you're on your way on getting your your job that you're educating yourself um, for, and that's what we do. You know that that's we we can't be picky and choosy about what we do. Like, and uh, he's had that good attitude throughout his career. It looks like so good on him. Always respect that stance. But uh, yeah, let's uh, talk of the underground banker after the break. Another example of Anthony Wong working and a different side of Anthony Wong, the coward who needs to man up. Let's uh, talk more of that uh, amusing little aspect to Underground Banker after the break. And welcome back to the second review of this weekend's lease is The Underground Banker from 1993 and plot from my review of the film. After getting into financial troubles, Kitty, played by Ching Mai, borrows money from the triads, but as expected, the interest rate puts her in greater debt quickly. Forced to go into prostitution, she is hiding this from her husband, Tong Chi Ming, played by Anthony Wong, who is trying to settle the family neatly into public housing. His worry, though, their next-door neighbor is Dr. Lam. <laughs> Played by not Simon Yam, but Lawrence M, who's actually in a Chinese torture chamber story from the same director. He's also in Stanley Kwan's Center Stage, if people have seen him there. He plays one of the love interests of Maggie Chung's character, and a good, good actor, no, but uh, not the biggest actor in Hong Kong or anything. But uh, this is kind of his tour de force performance, I'll have to say, even way before the review. This is my favorite Lawrence performance, and for good reason. But anyway, let's talk William Ho, who co-stars in this. Uh, he's uh, like the head triad uh, of the underground bank, if you will. And he looks awesome in this movie, actually. one of like a, I, I really like his costume in this. He looks badass in this movie. It's, yeah. It's not like this raping animal who just got out of jail kind of thing in Daughter of Darkness where he's just kind of dressed as a normal human being would but here it's like pimped he's a bit of a pimp but not like dated 90s bling because William Ho is such a ferocious animal and funny too wearing some vibrant blue suits and yes. stuff like that yeah he's looking 
Mad GQ. Oh yeah, and uh, William Ho, um, this bio of him, as my friend Sylvia Roran helped me out to look for some biographical info on this raping madman and animal out of Hong Kong cinema. And as it turns out, William Ho is kind of a pimp. For reals, y'all. Wait, what? <laughs> but born on March 14th, 1948 in Hong Kong and considered the first out of... Uh, it's translated differently, but here's one translation. Translation Considered the first out of the group dubbed the Four Wickets in regards to his villainous personas on film. And it's actually a reference from a Jin Yong Wuxia novel referring to characters who kill, dismember people, are nasty and ferocious. So he's a kind of a... He, he had a cinema rep based on that. Like, he wasn't this unknown actor that no one knew about except us. So that's cool. But William, at one point before the entertainment industry was a priority, being on screen, he started a newspaper and was the editor-in-chief. And it was profitable for a year or so before Ho lost everything to gambling over a three-day span in the 70s. There you are. But in 1977, he started to manage actors such as Ray Loy, Chayanfat, who might have been known as Aman Chow at the time. He had an English name at one point, Aman, A-M-A-N, which sounds very um, very Eastern, like uh, mythological, almost like, uh, oh, Aman, Aman Chow, hello, I'm Aman. <laughs> uh, but uh, maybe William Ho was the one that got Chow the role in, uh, I believe it's called Our Private Lives. It was a, like a romantic melodrama or whatever, but also was released somewhere with hardcore pornography inserts. <laughs> so maybe maybe William Ho got him that role, who knows? That turned into that uh, version of the film. Uh, unfortunately, I, I asked the one who should have it, uh, King Who, and he didn't have that edit of the film, unfortunately. He also managed Alan Tam, who I frequently poop on over at Podcast on Fire. Not a big fan of Alan Tam. And uh, he has also worked, William Ho, as assistant director on the Henry uh, Silva starer that Lung Po Chi co-directed along with James Bond director Terence Young called Foxbat. And that was recently put out, not recently, but like a year or two ago, put out in a really good DVD, one of those movies that did get a better release after being full frame for so many years. Like, so you got Henry Silva in this kind of James Bond style of film almost. William Ho was also an assistant director on the, the classic um, kind of crime and cops movie Jumping Ash, The Servant for Johnny, for Ronnie Hugh which uh, William Ho also co-wrote. And he's also listed as executive director on Teresa Wu's Life is a Moment story, which is the closest we got to William Ho at the helm. But uh, that was uh, like in the 80s, Life is a Moment story, but uh, the 80s mostly was, uh, you know, the start of um, his uh, acting career and him building his rep as a character actor. You can see him in Ringo Lamb's Prison on Fire. You can also see him most um, quite memorably in Story of Ricky. He plays the prison warden that comes in late in the film and with his obese son. And uh, William Ho turns into this finale villain and monster that Fan Xu Wong fights and grinds to a pulp by the end of the movie. So that's William Ho. I don't know if it's him underneath the makeup by the end, but that that makeup is made to look like William Ho. So I kind of... How great would that be if that's William Ho underneath a giant monster suit? Uh, yeah, I, I wonder, probably Stuntman, but uh, they obviously made it into his image, uh, this, that whole rubber rubber monster. He's like a pig beast at the end. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> and you never see it in the anime, either, at least not the first part that takes yeah. place in the prison. So that was like maybe the Hong Kong cruise addition to the madness of Story of Ricky. I love that movie. 
the night is uh, beginning of the night is meant that uh, William Ho got to uh, be quite psychotic and have perform fictio- fictional animalistic tendencies on screen once that category three explosion took center stage and he has uh, taken over and chewed the screen in movies like daughter of darkness brother of darkness and even he was memorable as a villain below the category three rating he's in one of my favorite choi hak movies that's quite it's not as widely seen as it should be and i blame hong kong distributors for that the the little time travel movie called love in the time of twilight mm-hmm. and uh william Hurt really looks good in that one uh, one of my favorite performances of his he worked up until uh, 2006 uh, as an actor but made a guest appearance in the 2011 mainland movie called happy tears or tears of happiness i, I never like got full confirmation what the english title was and coming back to the pimp thing here uh, sylvia found out that william ho worked a club circuit in the mainland and there's uh, like several videos of him as an MC at the Amani nightclub and he, he wears this hilarious brightly colored dragon suit oh man and he was quite liked and loved despite not having quite like singing ability at all essentially <laughs> like he sang away anyway and uh, he found like close to a dozen videos at the time of research on Chinese video websites of him so I gathered there was like enough popularity for William Ho like people shot him and put him up on YouTube or the, the, the equivalent in China. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna try and find if we, I believe we linked to one in the episode where this bio appeared in. So I'm gonna go check back on the link, see if it's still up. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's not not something you can find on YouTube. You, you have to search it in Chinese and that's where you and I cannot fail. But um, Sylvia passed along her thoughts then and I'm gonna echo those thoughts now that she loved working on this bio because she enjoyed having her mind blown by watching him perform karaoke on the mainland sounds absolutely amazing but yeah sadly uh, william ho passed away in january 2015 at the age of 66 after um, succumbing to organ failure and he'd been ill for some time he had uh, diabetes too which uh, kind of hindered him working in uh, movies uh, after 2006 essentially so Mm. sadly the quite liked character actor both in mainstream movies and but mostly through these movies are no longer with us mm-hmm. but uh, a little bit of a legacy and uh, he looks good when he appears in you know other movies too like he has a, a fairly small role but uh, i noticed him anyway in choi hak's blade which is a like a very well shot movie and he looks uh, like uh, filmmakers knew how to like light him and costume him and he he wasn't this like stupid presence that only fit category three moves no 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 he he had like um presence about him you know he was a beast of a man let me just say that very much so like he he didn't look small Mm-mm. like in I, I think he was kind of a towering man almost like fairly tall and he he was not a muscular guy, but he still gave off that impression. I think it's just his posture and how he presented himself in film. Like he never doubted that guy as being intimidating. No, he was almost always odd when he reverted into a shell. Like he has a brief, mm-hmm. brief role. I think Choi Hak just liked him. He appears briefly in Once Upon a Time in China too, as this uh, he sells like um, clothes and uh, he's kind of scared. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's fun seeing the contrast uh, there. But I know what kind of role fit him better like the loud role I, or i wish the voice that we're used to william ho having is his actual voice because uh, you can hear it in door of darkness it's here as well that you know it's the barking kind of voice mm-hmm. and I, I really hope it's him i never really heard him in sync sound so uh, he'll he'll be missed but 
Immortal Celluloid and all of that. So that's always comforting, including in this one. And uh, let's uh, do some brief uh, opinions. So first of all, Joshua, the underground banker, a brief opinion. A bizarre mix of humor, dark subject matter, exploitive uh, qualities, and just all around general goodness. Gen- general good category free Hong Kong fun. Like, like, like. Would you like recommend this mixture to someone who wants to find out what category free movies are all about? Is that this the kind of mixture that you want to push onto them to see if they're receptive to it? It's not a starter movie. You kind of have to. I mean, really, you know, to really get how messed up the movie is, you have to watch Doctor Lamb first, anyway. She's got a boob on her back, <laughs> and then uh, Simon Yam cut someone in half. Yes, so I would recommend probably the harder stuff first, then kind of move somebody into this. Like after you've seen a few, you can kind of like go into this and you see. Well, you got to see Dr. Lamb to understand what a fucked up joke <laughs> it is that he's in this movie too. And it's done in such a way that it's not really, I don't know, they, they do it in such a way that it's like they just don't even care. Like they, they present him in this way. Like it, it, to them, he's just a character in a movie. You know? So it's like, <laughs> yeah, we'll just make him, you know, uh, you know, reformed. You know, he's. That'll he's, be good. Yeah, everybody deserves a second chance. I mean, he's gotten right of his killing habit, after all. Yeah, he's right <laughs> <of> it. <laughs> That's the subtitle. Uh, but, but yeah, let's, uh, let's wait for the Dr. Lamb talk. Right. Um, and uh, my brief opinion, well, it's, it's kind of a, a couple of sentences, but anyway, it's one of many Hong Kong movies, category free or not. You, I, I think you can use as a tester on unsuspecting audience in general. <laughs> To see if they appreciate this widely entertaining mix of comedy, pitch black melodrama, shameless but inspired comedy, and violence. And if you, like, you made a friend if that person responds to this, you know, your movie nights are secured for a while. <laughs> but yeah, Bosco Lam crafted his actual, de- actually his actual debut movie, a Chinese torture chamber story. As um, well, I say debut, I think that's actually dead wrong. It might have been his. Uh, his uh, debut category free movie. Let's say. No, it was his debut movie. Holy hell, yeah. He had a couple of 1994 credits. I thought uh, some of them he had like 93 or 92 credits. So, Bosco Lam's debut movie, A Chinese Torture Chamber Story, that was also this similar free for all emotional ride that favored a goofy, heinous, pretty funny, and not so pretty in this wild, very good looking production. Yeah. The Underground Banker is not a good looking production. It's expectedly more grimy and even frettingly low budget but like the flat frame is not a problem because there's so much cool energy here will and dedication to pushing hard within each mood including melodrama like it's melodramatic as shit but Lam uh, Bosco makes this high pitch black oddly comedic time quite a riot and a ride and I absolutely quite adore it I don't think there's any weakness here Uh, that, that, that it strays from serious mood into comedy here I don't mind it at all it's just good fun i would i would agree with all of this it's a movie that i think like the the comedy and stuff like that that gets pretty broad would probably trip people out and like, i mean I, I mean just look at the opening sequence where th- this is a world where triads uh like threatening or not will want protection money so you see these um uh, people who own like the parking yard or junkyard yeah. that uh, anthony wong and his uh, friend are in and they're coming up there, give us money. They're not particularly threatening. And when they walk away, it looks like one of them have poo in his pants because he's walking <laughs> funny. Okay, that's that's where we're at, movie. Okay. Yeah. 
there's a short guy too. There's a short guy joke in there. It's all hitting the lowest common denominators right off yeah, the bat. It, it, it ticks off uh, like, uh, many boxes, and uh, it, it's a movie that doesn't seem like it cares what gears it switches from M2. Mm-hmm. Because it also knows audiences can find that very enjoyable. It's it's like a frequency to to the performing in general that just screams light, and that, that there will be darkness around the corner and violence too. But uh, you know, just look at the initial scenes and Anthony Wong interacting with his wife, honey, honey. Like there's no restraint here anymore. This is not Sam from Love to Kill. This is Tong Chi Ming, and I like that. It's it might sound like it's a criticism, but uh, it should be a criticism. But having this performance be so on, super on, is uh, I, perf- perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. He's kind of a coward through most of the movie. He's he's so drastically different from the other character that uh, it's really interesting that you paired these two together because they show just light and day. And uh, yeah, he's a coward, and uh, his um, his uh, pee pee doesn't work as well as it should. And it kind of works, but not for long. Yeah, and, three I, seconds. and I love and, and I love, exactly, and I love that um, first initial sex scene where like yeah, he gets on top of his wife and honey, and he reveals her boob, and you hear a disgusting sound effect. I think the subtitles go, "I'm over." <laughs> In other words, he came without even entering her. <laughs> That's where he needs to improve, obviously. And uh, I think yeah, it's so early in the movie that it's not much of a spoiler to reveal the gag, uh, if you remember it. Like he gets a, a tape where that has like uh, some lessons and some exercises to improve your stamina in bed. And it works pretty well, but then there's a payoff at the end where it all goes... Wah, wah, wah. I don't remember the payoff. I do remember the buckets. All right, so the, it's, it's like the, he takes a bucket with ice... And then a bucket with, I guess, hot water. You never see it, yeah, but I, but I assume the contrast of uh, hot and cold is the meaning of the exercise. And he's, like, listening to the tape, and that's what it's like. It's like, hot, cold, hot, cold. And he has to, like, t- dip his Johnson into each one. Yeah, yeah, and doing, like, push-ups, essentially. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fantastic. And uh, I forget exactly what happens. I do remember the radio, though. Breaking the well, well, wall. well. What happens here is like that. The, it goes super well, and there's a subsequent sex scene or two where apparently his uh, wiener is super hard and super strong and super big all of a sudden, and it all goes well. And uh, the tape also teaches him to sweet talk his lady, like, "Honey, you got nice skin. Oh, yeah. Honey, you've got smell. Wow, 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 smell." <laughs> and she slaps him. And what has happened is his friend has taped over the sex tape and narrated it himself and you can hear his friend like ha 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 I fooled you ha 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 <laughs> the, the same friend who has sex with the wife not knowing that it's his wife uh, later on in the movie that's where we're heading people but like it's the story of like uh, it's the kind of world by the way that where people openly comment on a husband's wife's boobies right like uh, when, when they first go into the house like and they encounter these young guys like hello I want to date you <laughs> Like you, you get these wide, lens, you know, wide angle lenses, and uh, and and Anthony Wong is the character that just kind of he never says like stop it, she's my wife, but yeah. he's like yeah, yeah 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 hello hello hello, and then walks on. So that's where the man up underdog story is gonna develop from. But it's this kind of world too, where Bosco Lam and producer Wong Jing just kind of like perverts galore, and uh, boobs have never been seen in like five decades by most of the characters. <laughs> In this movie, <laughs> even young ones. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I, I, I made a note about that. Like, it's just every Chinese dude in cinema history, every time they see boobs, it's like, ooh, ah. Ooh, ah. <laughs> As I said, I've not seen them in a couple of decades. It seems like. <laughs> like, just see What it. is it? But I like it. <laughs> God. But yeah, in the flickering hallways that uh, that uh, you know kind of leads us to his apartment, uh, we, like uh, the fluorescent lights keeps flickering. Anthony Wong even comments on that at one point. What is this a horror movie? Like uh, th- th- there are some meta moments here, uh, but we meet the neighbor, <laughs> and again we have obviously revealed that the neighbor is uh, they, they say a variation of the Chinese name or write a variation of the Chinese name of the taxi killer, Doctor Lam Lam Go Wan. It's wonderful because they do it as over the top cinematically as you kind of, I don't know, it's what they did right to make it just super cinematic because the neighbor arrives, uh, well, well, the son has been playing uh, TV games. TV games. As the subtitles say. And he comes in, I've been playing uh, with the neighbor and uh, oh, the new neighbor. And then you see Lawrence, mm, you see his uh, lower body uh, that he's wearing a costume, but you don't see his face and he leans into the frame smiling with a silly smile kind of hi <laughs> i'm lam gorwan and they eh, they kind of freeze like oh my god but they don't kind of they just say it they don't say it to his face oh my god you're the killer but they're super scared obviously yeah and and you kind of go as that scene goes along at least i did oh no they're not they're not oh boy they're doing it they're literally literally writing this real life horrible taxi killer into this fictional movie that he got let out of the insane asylum because he's fine now he's gotten right of his killing habit and because he's more buddhist now and that's he's out that's pretty offensive yeah that's awfully offensive like real life victims just um i wonder if they saw this and like fuck you Wong <laughs> he killed my like my girl my dad my daughter <laughs> i love the way they overplay the fact that he's foreboding. Well, I mean, when he comes to their apartment or whatever, like, uh, <laughs> they have a live chicken that uh, needs to be killed because of, uh, you know, they're going to be cooking it or whatever. So, of course, Dr. Lamb serves up his expertise by, like, jumping around the kitchen and, like, you know, using some martial arts moves, boop, 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 kills the chicken. And then not only that, like that, you know, and they're like freaked out because, oh, my God, he's, you know, so good at killing. He's going to kill us all. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. It's just so amusing that they even did this. That, that He's going he's gonna to kill us all. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, oh. he, steps, he steps out and then, like, they're talking bad about him. Whatever. He pops back in. He's like, oh, I left this. And he leaves. He left a chainsaw in a bag <laughs> in their apartment. Like yeah. a, there is a sting there, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And it's like he just picks it up and walks away. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm cool. I've gotten right of my killing habits. You know, right, I've gotten right of my killing habits. I mean, of course, I need a chainsaw in my apartment where I don't have like a garage or anything like that to actually cut anything. But yeah, yeah. I need multiple chainsaws. Yeah, that apartment is decorated like uh, it's ready for serial killing. Absolutely. <laughs> it's dark. There's like, yeah, it's it's bad. I mean, it's lit up to in like green and light. So you see like the uh, outlines of where the chainsaw is supposed to be, like a garage, uh, as you said. Like you can look at it deeply, I suppose. Maybe it's his way of like just placing everything that's a trigger to me 
in the apartment to achieve like mental overload and that will make him not kill his uh refrigerator's chock full of strange meats everything he has to eat is pork giblets it's just like dr lamb dr lamb's gonna kill everybody dr lamb's gonna kill everybody but they they seem to have so much fun with yeah. this even though it's inappropriate as fuck yeah, yeah. And he's awesome. Lawrence mm, just is, he's not playing it obviously for, I'm Dr. Lamb, but he's playing it like, I'm good at cutting chickens. It'd be like shooting a movie with like the DC sniper or something like that from like nine, ten years ago or whatever. Have a long Turning up in an Adam Sandler movie or some yeah. crap like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're the DC sniper. I'm the DC sniper. I'm going to be the good guy. I'm going to help you out at the end. Like, but uh, uh, he's wonderful. Like, in a fair world, this would be a Hong Kong Film Award Supporting Actor nomination. He's just <laughs> absolutely wonderful. Oh, oh, yeah, he also has this picture of the human body, like, so essentially, like, uh, showing off an, an uh, anatomy. Yeah. Uh, like, one of those, like, uh, pictures of the human body that uh, shows where everything is and in detail. So he even has that in his apartment. So, like, <laughs> oh, my God, he's going to kill us all. And he doesn't. He's the good guy. He's the canner is the bad guy, played by Carol Wong, like the, the old flame of Kitty's. Uh, Carol Wong, I don't know if you remember him from any movie, and he looks harmless enough. Right. Carol Wong, like uh, William Ho's second in command or something like that. Yeah. He is an awesome villain in uh, Hong Kong movies, whether category three or not. He can really turn it on. It's more William, uh, William Ho and him combined, I suppose, but he does some horrendous stuff here i mean he looks dated as hell he looks very 90s triad not just a phone but uh, his haircut and his bling and all of that but carol he's a wonderful actor he could turn it on really well he was dependable just like william ho was dependable and loud just like william ho was loud but it still worked by being over the top he starts off well because his character you don't realize immediately that he's going to be a villain I think that his character is like, uh, he comes back into the picture. You kind of think maybe there's going to be a romance because he is, uh, you know, Anthony Wong's ex, his wife's ex-boyfriend or whatever. So you, you, he kind of almost seems okay, but like slowly you see how he's manipulating her and like, and then when he becomes the villain, he really becomes the villain. Yeah, that that's fairly distressing the way she's uh, deceived. You know, mm-hmm. she's not naive or anything. They're doing like a stock market uh, things first and she wins like 10,000. Oh my God, invest. And, and then she loses yeah. 100,000. And he says, no problem. We'll just borrow it from the boss. And uh, we have a little interest rate, but that's probably no problem. And the interest rate just keeps going and going and going. And uh, eventually she's uh, forced into prostitution uh, pretty quickly, to be honest, like in a matter of hours or days, it looks like. It was all part of the plan. Maybe you know this. You've studied stuff. There's no thing as instant aphrodisiac, is there? No. (laughs) (laughs) But man, is it fun in a way. I mean, it's horrible because there is a rape scene eventually. But for Hong Kong movies, this instant aphrodisiac, well, oh my God, what did you put in my drink? I feel so hot. No, don't. You want it? Yes, but I don't. I feel so hot. And they rub all of their titties and what have you. It's instant. We're talking instant. Like, uh, I, I, I don't think even some real-life drugs work that quickly. <laughs> no, and especially not, well, this is getting into the whole nursing thing, but especially not in a, a PO, like, by the mouth, by oral. 
ingestion medication. You're looking at like 30 minutes just to get through the GU track, you know? Yeah, <laughs> she's not fully into injecting it into herself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and it happens several times. And it's supposed to be horrific. It obviously is horrific, but it's also amusing to me that the Hong Kong movie logic is that it happens like that yeah like you've drunk an aphrodisiac i'm totally getting laid now and she's like oh i like don't okay do it quickly like and yeah she, so and uh, yeah that's that so yeah <laughs> <laughs> you you could ask yourself i kind of hinted to this but is it well made you ask yourself i would say it's rather quickly made made mm-hmm. but everyone's bringing the big free-for-all energy the underground banker kind of represents the commercial landscape within category three at least this is how you made films this is what you put in films and no one batted an eyelid when it was so filled with elements like the this dopey fun entertainment real life serial killer made into a good guy instant aphrodisiac you couldn't make this movie nowadays it just couldn't happen there, there are some category three movies that try a little bit and do fairly well the 33 d invader i remember having fun with but the Hong Kong cinema landscape isn't this anymore. So when you think back on that, 22 years later or whatever, it's amazing how it's changed, isn't it, Joshua? That this this was totally a given that it could be that it could be made next week. Yeah, this is something that couldn't be made almost in any country really, except for this specific area, this specific time. Just the things, even with Dr. Lamb alone. You, you know, oh my God, like the fact that they didn't get sued by any family members. It would have been totally warranted, obviously. Like, yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, they, they, you can't do this sort of thing. It's not right. As much fun as that is, the movie is not afraid to get dark. Not at all. And it gets dark. Yeah, there's one of the key moments that is a very cool little moment. Uh, William Ho has uh, aspirations to bed the sister of Kitty. He doesn't want Kitty. I mean, Canner has Kitty, so that's fine. So he uh, he has her kidnapped and put into her William Ho pimp mobile little van that is uh, built for himself for these kind of purposes, which is uh, William Ho pimp mobile. That's fun. But there's a strong moment here where she fights back a little bit. She opens the door and the car is obviously moving at full speed. And he says to her, either you stay here or you jump. And what does she do, Joshua? She jumps. He tells he says speed up first. Yeah, he tells the driver speed up, and it's a strong little moment. They're both like executed well, a little bit of stunt work here, but it's a strong moment because she you know rolls on the ground and then stands up in slow motion, and obviously all like she's dizzy and uh, hurt and all of that. And it's a confidence switch to dark that could have worked poorly because of that it's so dark and so melodramatic. I don't. I, I was never bothered by it. Uh, melodrama no. usually is, but this is melodramatic and darkly violent. And characters that you think in a normal movie has no chance of ever being hurt because you don't hurt certain characters. Right. Hong Kong movies of this time and this movie totally does. Yeah. Kids weren't uh, protected. Animals weren't protected. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, uh, no one was really hurt, but there is some quite harrowing scenes it looks like as shot quite cleverly made a whole uh, awesome sequence uh, let's just mm-hmm. say that with uh, that involves both uh, the actress uh, ching mai whoever the kid was uh, some clever little foreground fire background fire but also it looks like they were in a room set on fire and quite close to the fire yeah and that's uh, th- that's like four <laughs> i don't think the kids were necessarily i'm totally game hong kong cinema rules man <laughs> <laughs> but they, I think certain actors, young ones in particular, we should probably blame their parents for letting them be game in movies, you know. 
Like, like just, th- just think of the little girl that's hung outside of a car in Fatal Termination. On a wire rig, but still, like, super close to the ground with her feet, you know, what have you. You know, you've seen at least that sequence in Fatal Termination, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it's a disturbing, long, like, extended sequence of this arson where he's just helpless, Anthony Wong. He can't do anything after a while. It's, yeah, the actors Ching Mai and the kid are mostly in the midst of it, and the stuntman, a woman doing the fire stunt you know the full burn hats off that look that, that you know the full burns always like make my pulse go you know and uh i mean they they knew they knew how to in hong kong but still it's it's risky regardless like it's a matter of seconds i think before it gets to dangerous levels you know because they don't put on this uh, big asbestos suit or anything like it looks uh whoever did it looks like he or she doesn't have a lot of layers of clothes they probably didn't have the you know that goop that they put on you. They probably didn't have the you know the best version of that stuff you know that they used in the Hollywood movies. But okay, Doctor Lamb comes to save the day. Yeah, a little bit too late, but it's a little bit of a rousing cinematic moment when Doctor Lamb you know opens up the gate uh, like um, yeah he has the bolt cutters so he can open up the apartment and that it's a cinematic rousing moment involving Doctor Lamb. Yeah, it's not right. No, but it's no. awesome. It's totally awesome. <laughs> well, what's kind of messed up too is like as the movie goes on, like he you know joins in on the revenge because of this, and like the movie treats him like he's a superstar, but like treats him like he's a you know like a ninja because of his ability <laughs> to kill women. You know, like this is this guy that killed you know prostitutes and various women, and you know we're gonna treat him like oh well, he's a badass. Check him out. Yeah, look at him go. And he's not—he's uh, not—he's tri- triggered by wrongs done to good people, rather than he's—and he's not triggered by the full moon or rain or anything. <laughs> you, you know, because in Doctor Lamb, he kind of was triggered by rain uh, and uh, picked up yeah. his victims uh, in rain and chased them through rain and all of that. But uh, yep, that's uh, in a world of devils, Doctor Lamb is the angel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, chew on that. Lawrence, mm, you know, his actual dangerous glare is uh, quite effective, you know, because uh, he can only be, his character can only be Buddhist up to a point. Then the dick shooting and violence starts, essentially. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, it's it's a wonderful ending sequence. Uh, violent. Boy, is it violent. Uh, barbecue pork bun. Oh, yeah, we got a little untold story moment uh, here. It's, uh, you know, Anthony Wong's performance is so big here. That he's one of those. It's one of those performers where he shouts out, "I'm gonna have revenge." <laughs> you know, it works. It works despite it's so much fun seeing it start off with Anthony Wong. It looks like he's again gonna crawl through the crawl through the legs of uh, the characters he did before, like this uh, very there is undignified act, and then he stops and shoots him right in the dick, and that guy just boom dead. I like that. that. That's a superb violent beat. Uh, and uh, then, as we said, Dr. Lamb enters and he's, uh, he doesn't need to be armed with a chainsaw or anything. He, his uh, sharp scalpel does the job because he cuts faces. He cuts open stomachs. And it's, you, you're right. He's a ninja and he's like... He's just running through people, yeah. It, it's a marvelous ending. I mean, uh, you, you know, good, like the comeuppance is here. Anthony Wong's character obviously has lost a lot by that point, but uh, like uh, there, there is comeuppance here and um, and uh, that's, uh, there's some marvelous touches like 
Anthony Wong say like I'll, I'll chop you up and make you into barbecue bun and that's as we said the untold story reference like the same year as the untold story Anthony Wong himself is making an untold story joke like, like uh, I don't know the exact Chinese phrase for barbecue bun but you hear that that chachi bao chachi bao which I think is like the Chinese title of untold story partly but uh, in this case this uh, in movie industry in movie humor is uh, is uh, well deserved because it's kind of sold well as well too yeah so uh, there, there is some sense of dialogue here I'm, I'm thinking like the word fuck is some in whatever way they're saying it in the movie is too much for category three the category three rating because uh, as anthony wong struggles with uh, william ho like uh, i'll blow your dick you fuck my wife and you hear yeah. a lot of beep 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 so even listeners for these movies that were adult movies language could still be too much for a category three rating we get it in the subtitles though so I'm, i have a feeling it's the variation of the word fuck ironically they censors like no 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 charlie joe can fuck but he can't, he say, can't fuck. say it yeah <laughs> that's rude <laughs> that's rude like we have standards <laughs> okay fine as long as we can see charlie joe fuck then and doc and dr lamb as the good neighbor then <laughs> yeah good neighbor dr lamb yeah <laughs> good fun i mean it, it's harrowing and kind of scary but good fun and like an, a bit of an underrated genre classic i would say i would as well i think both the movies this week have been really great like the bad movies that we watched we usually find something uh, to laugh about like some, some stupidity to laugh about but here's like Eat my bomb! Uh, eat my bomb. I mean, <laughs> Gates of Hell was good fun, but uh, it had enough weaknesses where you kind of like extract some wacky stuff and then spend 10 minutes on it. Yeah. <laughs> but no, trrr, eat my bomb in this one. <laughs> like, like on the scale of uh, eat, eat my bomb, eat my bomb being great and uh, I don't know, not eat my bomb being bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is eat my bomb. Good. This is definitely eat my bomb levels of goodness. <laughs> this is not the bomb, it's eat my bomb. <laughs> y'all <laughs> oh man all right as for availability this is one that maya had but never did anything with on dvd it came out on vhs vcd and laserdisc but that was it it had a tie saying vhs but that was like probably the same version as maya's vhs yeah good quality laserdisc on side one then something odd happened that i've never encountered before with hong kong laserdiscs uh, in the mastering like side two was distinctly worse looking it almost looked like did someone like put the vcd on side two of the laser disc because at that point up until that point it looks like a quite a sharp cinema print it's obviously watchable but you notice like hey where did the sharpness go yeah. like uh, all of a sudden details start to bleed and stuff like that but uh, those are not like pressed anymore and uh, so like look for used copies on those formats uh, or worse comes to worse you know if it's out there on uh, the torrents in the dark corners of the internet then uh, then, uh, then, then it's there, but uh, well worth tracking down. This is uh, this is good fun. And the next time, let's talk some fucking modern category three movies. Modern, <laughs> yes, they still release some of these bearing the category three rating. Uh, like there are category three movies, but not necessarily like just because the rating is out there doesn't mean that we got a titty movie coming out. Like they're, they're still like highly rated movies. Even the original SPL was a category three movie. Think for violence uh, but uh, there are some movies still uh, out there with uh, graphic content and uh, tough language and what have you and titties uh, some are out there for cheap frills uh, and uh, i know very little of uh, what comes out but uh, i got um, alerted to to 
2015 movies, one being called The Gigolo, not starring Simon Yam, unfortunately. He was kind of a gigolo in these movies, like uh, the star of Gigolo and Whore, Hong Kong Gigolo and stuff like that. And the other movie being Angel Whispers. I know nothing of the Gigolo other than it looks like uh, a little bit of sexy time. But Angel Whisper is a bit of a serious thriller, verging on horror. But its main attraction, and why I think it's fair for us to cover it, is the fact that it's co-directed by Naked Killers and Remains of a Woman star Carrie. Her first directing effort. Co-directing. And neither movie may be sexy or wacky times like the old days or anything, but if we're this week in sleaze, we kind of owe it to ourselves to talk some modern sleaze every now and again. Heck yeah, we owe it to the listeners. Indeed, we, we've done so. I mean, uh, it was maybe a year or two old when we covered it, but we saw the 33D Invader, and uh, that's like a 2011-2010 movie. Kind of showed that that formula could be quite fun still. It's fun, yeah. And uh, we, we'll see how where these movies uh, take us with Gigolo and Angel Whispers. And uh, we're hoping to have a guest, a special guest on the show that actually suggested these. Uh, so uh, we'll uh, hopefully get that going and uh, announce it uh, beforehand or when the show so that's that. We are done. We are Ooh. done. We are done. And uh, this is Rubber Was. This week is Lee's on the Podcast on Fire Network. Our website is podcastonfire.com. Many shows on there on Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, ninja cinema. I call that cinema. It was in cinemas, therefore it is cinema. And uh, we, uh, you can make your selection over there. And we also do bonus episodes every now and again. If you have any questions or feedback, our email is podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Leave a like on our page on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash POF network. Join the discussion group and uh, follow the show updates and chat. It's called Podcast on Fire Network, so that's how you'll find it. Our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. And moving on to my uh, review endeavors over at SoGoodReviews.com, you got Category Free, Ninjas, Taiwan, and a variety of Hong Kong genres covered. And I also video review at SleazyKVideo.com, and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And we are available on iTunes. Rate and subscribe. And if you have the time, please leave a small written comment about the network or This Week in Sleaze. We would love to hear from you. It's, like, you can be anonymous on, on there. You can go under an assumed name if uh, yeah. it's too shameful to write about. I like Dr. Lamb in that movie. I like the fact that they made fun of the victim. <laughs> the victims. Fuck the victims. Like, you can write that anonymously. I don't know. We don't care. Tell us about your love of snowballing, whatever it is. Yeah, whatever it is. I would love to hear from you. And uh, that will be good if Apple approves a filthy review like that. Like, that's going up there. <laughs> but yeah, we would love to hear from you. And you can also actually leave comments or reviews over at Stitcher Radio as well, uh, the streaming service. Uh, we are available on there, either via their website or you have free applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play for your various devices that uh, have those app stores available. And finally, on my end shelflifeclothing.com buy some t-shirts god damn it you, you don't need so much a uh, hoodie uh, nowadays but uh, some good old t-shirts for the summer like uh, buy yourself a caucasians t-shirt or like uh, the gambling vampire t-shirt there uh, which has like uh, lam ching ying and andy lao as a hopping vampire on it structured like the god of gamblers poster so lam ching ying is sitting in the chair like chai fat and andy lao is standing above him as a hopping vampire Awesome stuff. And uh, finally, on your end, the trashy trio slash the trashy duo, depending on how many people you get on your show. Yeah, just find it, baby. Look us up on Google and uh, have a good time. Why Google? Are you affiliated with Google? Why can't they use Yahoo? <laughs> well, because Yahoo sucks. <laughs> Google's 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've never liked it. If you're like listening from like the distant past or something, use web crawler. Alta Vista, yeah, maybe <laughs> AOL. Search us out on AOL keyword trashy trio. <laughs> keyword for this week is lasers. Let's talk, let's talk some fucking. <laughs> let's talk some fucking. So that's that. Uh, we'll have show links uh, to your show and the various other links in the show post on podcastonfire.com. So just uh, follow the trail from there but for now let's stop the fucking and resume playing game boy with our horribly disfigured burnt hands (laughs) (laughs) hell yeah wait what that was we didn't even reference it in the review but that's a key moment in the review like thank you for the game boy i can't play the game boy (laughs) dr lamb what's wrong with you what an idiot Like, it's more idiotic than Jackie Chan giving, like, a game gear with no game in it in Rumble in the Bronx to that kid. Like, at least they, like, he had his hands. He was crippled, but he had his hands. Like, Dr. Lamb, you're an asshole. Jackie should have bought that kid a bike. <laughs> Here's the bike. Thanks, Jackie. Like, and remember, China good. Like, oh, all right. <laughs> Alright, we're done. I've been Slice K and with me was the great Lord Josh Arrigo, so say bye, buddy. Bye.